too. When you listen to somebody that says everything's always hunky-dory, nothing ever goes wrong, you need to run. Are you interested in self-directing your retirement into assets that you understand, into assets that you control? We teamed up with Chris Tanner and started a community of self-directed investors. You know Chris Tanner. We interviewed him on episodes 2 and 11. You can find out more about Self-Directed Investors Network by going to today's show notes. Enjoy the podcast. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host today, Adam Adams, and unfortunately, DJ and Manny are out of the office. And I say that because we've got Mark Kenny, a giant within the real estate industry, and I really wish they had an opportunity to chat with you. Mark Kenny, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, will you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into real estate? Absolutely. First, thanks for having me, Adam. Really appreciate it for sure. Love what you guys are doing. So I'm glad to be on here. Um, but I started uh, really about 25 years ago, right? I was still in college and I went to Michigan State University for accounting and I grew up with not really too much financially. I say we have everything we needed and nothing I wanted essentially. So I said, hey, I need to, I need to do something different than my dad was doing. And I always loved very analytical type guy. Um, and I always loved the, the concept of real estate. So when I was 21, I was still in college, made an offer on a duplex, got accepted and um, met my dad. And my dad talked me out of the deal. So I ended up uh, walking away from that deal, unfortunately. But quickly after that, I realized that, hey, my dad's not the right guy to be listening to. He has never bought a, you know, a multifamily property in his entire life. Yeah. So uh, I ended up, um, my brother and I have identical twin brother. We ended up buying a property right after that. Complete gut job pretty, for the most part, at least one side was. And didn't tell my dad about it or anything. Stopped taking him on property tours. We closed a deal and told my dad we closed a deal. So that way he couldn't talk us out of it. There you go. <laughs> I probably waited the, the three days you can get out of a deal too to, to tell him. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how we got started. And then I I, I was an accountant for a while, CPA, and then started doing IT consulting, but still always loved real estate. And I was buying two, three, four unit deals and some single family too over the years, essentially, uh, self-managed. You know, so I was traveling five days a week for KPMG consulting, coming back on the weekends, hanging drywall and collecting rent and, and doing evictions and all that stuff. And I got, it got, it wasn't fun for me. So you, you did your own drywall and, and things like that? Yeah, you know, not because I'm great at it necessarily. It was because uh, most contractors would never get this stuff done. They would get it 80% done and never finish it. And I'm like, man, I need to get this, to get it rented. I, at that time, I wasn't making really much money at all. So for, for me to have a vacant unit was a big deal. It really was. Yeah. So I'm like, man, I'm going to get in there and figure it out. We figured it out. So the first deal that you mentioned that your dad talked you out of, you were 21 when you were trying to buy that one. Is that right? That's right. And then the second one that you closed on with your twin brother, how old were you then? 22. Okay. Wow. You, yeah. you were driven. Uh, so did you read like some book that, that inspired you, know, you? No, it's funny. People look, like, why would you do that? I'm like, well, I think I was inspired enough by having a lack of a lot of things growing up. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, we, we do missions you know, Tammy goes on mission trips to Africa and 
we support missions. So there are people, you know, way worse off than, than we were. So I'm not, you know, giving that impression, but I had a lot of embarrassing times as a kid, you know, bad, you know, crappy cars, you know, holes in the floorboard, primered cars, not even painted. And just, I'm like, man, this is ridiculous, you know? And I saw my dad who worked as a firefighter and then also worked 30 to 40 hours additional week, <laughs> hours a week wow. at a lumber yard, mm-hmm. come home every hour he had and was fixing the cars or spending two hours fixing a toaster. And I'm like, man, I do not want to be this way. And my mom helped contribute to it. Not that she was an entrepreneur at all, but she was like, yeah, you need to do something that you don't have to have your kids go through this, you know? Um, yeah. So that, that was my drive. Great. I, I love that story. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for getting into that with us. I appreciate that a lot. So um, right now, today, you're uh, a couple years older than 22. What have you done in the last couple years? So in the last few years, so about four years ago, you know, I'll take a step, a step back. 2008, okay. I started my own IT company. Mm. was doing really well probably too well because I was sleeping three hours a night and had, you know, I like marathon oil, T-Mobile, some big customers, um, but no life whatsoever. And it caused a lot of issues uh, between my wife and myself because I wasn't available for anything. Mm. And I had stress level and all that. So about four years ago, I'm like, man, I need to do something different. Again, I need to get in a larger multifamily. So that's when I started looking and it took us about a year to kind of get some traction. And in the last few years, we've, we've been able to get, uh, well, 2,600 units. We probably, we had some that sold. So we probably had over 3000 units in a few years. And uh, that's what we've been doing is kind of wow. looking at, and we've, we've taken an approach that, Hey, there are always good deals somewhere. You that's need to know where that yeah. somewhere is. And it's all relationship business. And, and you have to under, understand that as well. We live in Dallas, but we stopped buying in Dallas about 16 months ago. People are like, well, you think you're going to regret doing that? I'm like, I don't know. The fact is, I can't, in good conscience, bring some of, these, some of these deals to investors with any confidence that we can make the return because it's getting so expensive here. Gotcha. Um, so I love Dallas as a market, but we, we branched off into Memphis and Atlanta, and we're looking in the southeast a lot, Florida, Alabama, uh, a little bit more on the cash flow side because, in my opinion, the, the speculation of what interest rates and cap rates are going to be doing, you know, five years from now, let alone a month from now, nobody knows. So cash flow, in my opinion, right now is a little bit more, more important than the so-called appreciation. So you brought up something that I think we kind of glazed over uh, because you and I both do apartment syndications. So we understand some of those terms. Sure. But I think there's a lot of the audience that may be here because they want to be able to buy a house with no money and no credit. They may be listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast so they can help somebody out of foreclosure utilizing lease options and subject to. But what you mentioned is you're buying apartments. You have like, you've bought around 3,000 units and you mentioned that you aren't buying in Dallas because your partners, you can't give your investors the returns they want. So, Let's talk a little bit about that. How are you buying apartments if not with your own, only your own money? That's a good point. So yes, thank you for bringing that up. So we syndicate, which you know, just pulling our resources together. In this case, it's pulling capital, you know, money together from other people that have an interest potentially in investing in a deal that we have. So let's say we go buy a hundred units for five million dollars, and we need you know a million dollars down. 
we go to other people that are potentially interested and say, you know, hey, we have this deal. Are you interested? And we don't exactly say that, but, you know, we, we understand what they want and what they need. And then we, uh, we give them the deal as an opportunity. And they say, yeah, I'm interested in doing that. And they, they now become part of the deal where they own a fractional piece of the deal. So the limited partners, you want to call it, and the general partners, we're more the leads or the managers. And you have passive investors that invest and they get a, a portion of the equity based on the percent they put into the deal. Wow. So if you bought a hundred unit property, uh, about how many people would be involved in purchasing that? You said that they own a fractional piece. So right. yeah, how many total people? So it will depend on what your minimum, minimum raise is. A lot of people do a $50,000 minimum investment. So you have to have $50,000 as a passive investor to invest. It's not uncommon. We do $100,000 Minimums just because, um, you know, less people involved, it's really better for everybody, uh, generally speaking. So yeah, I think if you figure you have $50,000 or more to invest, you can get into a lot of a lot of deals that way. And then they would own whatever percent they put in, not of the purchase price, right? This is the money we put down. So we put, okay. you know, a million dollars down and someone gives 100000 they own 10% roughly of that uh, deal. Okay. Awesome. And so how many people do, would you typically have in a hundred unit? Uh, if it was so that you probably have 15 to 20. Okay. I try to do less. I mean, we could, could have it where we have three or four, but in general, if you figure $75,000 roughly a person on average, then that's probably a pretty good rule of thumb. Uh, wow. Some people set the minimums low. They set them at, you know, 25,000, but uh, generally speaking, the more people you talk to, they've been doing it longer than probably some of the people have been doing it. You want to have your minimums a little bit higher than that, in my opinion. Yeah. And just for the audience who's listening and uh, thought that that was interesting, what you just said, you actually are an educator within the space. How would people find you if they wanted to learn more? Yes. Yeah, so we, we are. We have a website. It's thinkmultifamily.com. My email is mark at thinkmultifamily.com. And, you know, we're, our whole goal of the education is, is not 100% just real estate. I mean, it, it's geared towards buying multifamily, but it's also trying to help people understand that you can have all the book knowledge and, and everything else. You'd be a smart guy, but if you don't have a track record, it's going to be really hard for you to get a deal of any size. Mm -hmm. And we also have some other aspects to our training like, hey, you're buying a business and building a business. You need to know how to brand yourself or market yourself. Uh, think you about go. what you're doing, right? So a lot of the groups don't want their you know, members or students or everyone referred to them as off-branding and marketing themselves with their own websites and things like that. We encourage it because we want, to, we want to have people be able to be self-sustainable no matter what on their own. And Richard Branson, people probably heard of it, has a quote that says, you know, train people well enough so they can leave treat them well enough so they want to stay. And I love that quote. And our whole idea was building a community. You know, we hang out with people in our group. We're doing a cruise in June with um, its educational group, partly education, but mostly fun. Uh, we'll go to, you know, dinner and, you know, listen to music and stuff with people in our group. So our whole thing is basically doing life together, not just business together. That's mm -hmm. it's something that's very unique. And we, yeah. we cherish that. And that results in some people not being able to get in our group because they don't fit in the culture. <laughs> okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, when we were doing the pre-interview, what we wanted to kind of share with some of the people is bad partnerships. 
So right. you've, you've went through a partnership that didn't end out perfectly. And I'd like you to kind of share with other people sure. how they can solve those problems. Does that be all right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole thing is we want to be able to share these, these horror stories too. When you listen to somebody that says everything's always hunky dory, nothing ever goes wrong. You need to run because if you talk to anyone in the business long enough, things go wrong. So I had an opportunity. I had a partner already. It was for Atlanta and he had another deal that he already owned with a partner in there. So we ended up structuring a deal where I brought in new investors, myself as an investor and new investors. We bought his partner out, but we kept the exact same LLC, right? We had the same loan. The loan stayed the same. LLC stayed the same. Everything stayed exactly the same. Well, after about two months, you know, it's a, it's a huge rehab project. You know, it's, it's a riskier project for sure. After about two months, just not getting really the comfort level that I needed from him, and asking questions and getting partial answers and not the full answer. That's kind of when your gut's saying, hey, some, he's not giving me a full story. It doesn't seem to be. I ended up flying down to Atlanta on a, on a whim, you know, without letting him know that and visited the property and things like that. Then we had a, we had a board set up. I won't go into all the details. We had a board director set up for that property, five, mm-hmm. five people, including this, this partner. And we formally requested some information. Like, hey, you know, you need to give me this information. And he didn't, of course. <laughs> And we're like, man, something's up here. So we end up removing him as the manager. Uh, so proper management, he's, he's gone from there. Mm-hmm. It took us a little, a little bit, maybe, I'm guessing maybe about five weeks or so legally to get him out of there, really. We got him out of there. And when he's gone, lo and behold, all of a sudden, that's when everything went downhill from there. Meaning we had uh, vendor invoices coming to us that were from – let me see, you know, six, seven months before we even, before I was ever involved in the project. So no contractor is going to work for, in this case, it was 11 months of invoices. No contractor is going to work for 11 months for free. (laughs) So we got like $160,000 of invoices from this one contracting company, two, $300 a piece, you know, like a thousand invoices, you know? And um, then this guy was like, Hey, he had some sort of arrangement with another guy before we even got involved where he had $200,000 stake in the property. We're like, that was never disclosed anywhere. It's not in any legal documents and things like that. So he filed a lien on the property hmm. and uh, we're in litigation to this, to this day. Um, it's, it's unfortunate because it's all bogus in, in our mind, but we're spending, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars of legal fees. Yeah. So I think with, with this, you know, anybody can follow a lien. People are like, well, that's not fair. How can you follow a lien? Well, anybody can follow a lien provided they fill out the form correctly. Now you have to go fight it and say, well, it's not legit. <laughs> and unfortunately, in this case, he, this, uh, this old partner and this contracting company were in collusion. You know, and that's really hard to prove in that case. How do we go prove something wasn't done 11, 12 months ago? Now it's 14 months. So we walked the property and say, hey, this looks like it wasn't done. Well, how do we know it's 14 months later now? Was it painted or not? You know, we have a hard time proving it. Uh, we in, in make things worse, this contracting company is, no, no joke, tied in with the Korean mafia. Hmm. Make things even more interesting. So, um, you know, lesson learned there is, you know, the guy is probably the, he's the top manipulator I've ever met. 
as far as his, he's very crafty. He's a super smart guy, which is not good for us. Um, and you know, had everyone fooled, but he's been in business 28 years, you know, so what happened? Right. So in this case, I would never personally buy into an existing LLC ever. People say, well, you can put legal, you know, documents together. They, you know, if, if a vendor is going to sue, they're going to sue the LLC and you have no choice. You're, you're tied to the LLC. So I personally would never buy LLC. I know a lot of people that try to do it for tax purposes as well. Um, but that's risky in my mind. And due diligence wise, you know, I felt like we did good due diligence on the guy. I, I checked in the market this to make things even worse. He you know, went to church with my brother, which uh, it just grinds me, you know. Um, cause he gives Christian, gives Christians a very bad name. Um, I checked with, you know, some, uh, attorneys that knew him in the market, a mortgage broker, uh, sorry, a selling broker that knew him and everything kind of checked out. Uh, but after we learned more and it didn't check out for us, we then heard more stories, people that we started proactively going after were telling us some stories that lined up very much similar stories to ours, where this guy got paid $600,000 to get out of another deal for this collusion, right? This, this scam he had going on with another vendor. So, you know, I would say I didn't have reservations with the guy. Unfortunately, I have, I typically have a very, I can pick up on people in, in seconds typically mm -hmm. and, and kind of come to, yeah, they're either, and it usually checks out 99% of the time, but it didn't. It didn't so this time. how, how could other people, solve the problem ahead of time. Is there something else you, you, it sounds like you try to do a lot of the steps. It sounds like you're typically have a really good, strong intuition about other people. What, what did you miss that you could have done to solve it? Yeah, I think there are two steps. One is the, aside from the person, I, I would think if, if we would have just got a brand new LLC, those problems would have gone away. Okay. You know, we, they, we never, we have, we have $500,000 in liens right now against the property because of this. And number two, I think it's more on the personal perspective. You know, one thing I could have done and I should have done probably is said, Hey, let me talk to some of your previous partners. At first I would ask, you would say, well, what will your partner say? I have a partner here in Dallas that I did four deals with. We don't do deals together anymore. Not because he's a bad guy. I don't have negative things really say about him. And he, I don't think he has anything negative to say about me. It's just, we have some different goals and approaches the way we do things. Yeah. Um, and I know what he would say in this case, I don't, if I would have said, well, Hey, I'll give you his name. Let's say his name is Jim. Hey Jim, let me talk to your prior partners. And, and then I would talk to them. Now he could be, he could have probably set me up and, and had different people on the phone call. I mean, if someone, this is the key. If someone wants to be deceptive, deceptive, they're going to do it and they're going to get away with it probably for some period of time. But I think maybe more of that. And, um, you know, I had already done a deal with him, you know, a year, year before that. So I felt like I knew the guy pretty well. Mm. Um, wow. But I think, you know, the, that prior partner stuff. And then I think in this case, I should have asked for prior employee references as well. Even though it sounds strange, because I think his character probably would have come through when he was an employee for other customer for other companies as well. Okay. So prior partners and prior employees, the other piece, just talking to him and his, his uh, competency seemed strong, been in business a long time. So that, but I think those two, two points I could have done better for sure. Okay. So for the audience, the main one is it's not worth it to buy an LLC, even for tax reasons. There's too many other things that could be behind the scenes that are too, very, very difficult to find out.
And that's my opinion. And uh, ours was a little bit different than just buying it for tax purposes, but it was, you know, I think you can still run into issues. People say, put anything you want legal documents, but you still have to fight it. That's the problem. I'd rather not have that potential issue where I have to go fight somebody to prove that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's number one for me. I would never do it ever. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Uh, let's see how are we are on time. All right, I think we have a, a couple minutes. What other information, uh, wisdom from Mark Kenny would you share with my audience? If they, if they like what you're saying, and what wisdom could you share with them that would kind of help them to get them from where they are today to just be able to take that next leap toward? Uh, yeah, I mean, a couple of things I would say. Go big, don't Great. start small. Great. I mean, that's our motto. Go, go, go big fast, right? Um, you know, this might sound kind of, you know, there's a, a saying, you know, trust, but verify. And I think that's mm -hmm. actually backwards. Okay. Um, I think it okay. should be verify and maybe slowly trust. I'm not trying to be cynical about it, but the <laughs> fact is you listen to people in this industry, a number of people that have had partners or someone do something like steal money or whatever it might be. It's pretty, it's higher than you would think. Unfortunately, yeah. I love partners and we had a lot of good partners, right? But I think be slow to trust. If your gut's telling you something, don't let the money drive you. If a deal, if you're looking at the deal and you're already doing math in your head and on your paper, I'm going to be able to get this house or this car or whatever it might be. But the guy kind of makes me, I'm not sure about the guy. Run. No, I mean, either yeah. run or do more due diligence on the guy to make you feel more comfortable. Yep. And I would say put every single thing in writing, with, even for partnerships. Partnerships are great. <laughs> Typically, they're 50-50. I'd say that's good and bad. With that, typically, you're going to have somebody that thinks you're doing more than the other person. So it's not a bad idea. You know, one, put everything in writing. Assume everything will go wrong, horribly wrong, and hope that it never goes wrong. But account for every single thing. Like, we've had deals before we wanted to sell. But, our, you know, unfortunately, at the time, we weren't smart enough to put tag-along clauses in our agreements where someone was be forced to sell. Well, you need to have that in there, right? Yep. Um, so things like that, I, I think, and then maybe structuring deals with a partner where you get compensated based on what you bring to the table. If you find the deal, Adam finds it, he gets a certain percent. I didn't find it, I get zero for that category. If I raise all the money, I get something, but Adam gets zero because he raised no, he didn't raise any money. So I'm not saying you have to do that, but at a point in time, uh, a lot, you know, 80% of partnerships in, in business fail. That's a high percentage. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's usually, you know, a lot of times it's because someone thinks they're doing more than the other person or it might be. So yeah. getting all that on paper, penciled out and everything is great until it's not. And in money involved, that's when the true character of people comes, comes out. I completely agree. Uh, as far as the partnerships, would you, would you say, um, rather than just writing up your own documents that it, it would be beneficial to spend a few hundred dollars to have an attorney <laughs> write it? Yes, exactly. People in our group, I tell them, do not skimp on, you know, you don't have to hire the $600 an hour attorney to do it. But yeah, don't think you're saving money. You, it will cost you, you know, a thousand times more by not engaging a professional to do that. In every aspect, not just those documents, but due diligence from looking at the roofs and the plumbing, every aspect of it. Don't think your, your cousin who knows a little about, you know, about contracting, it can come and give you estimates and things like that. Don't skimp. You'll, you'll pay for it in the long run. Yeah, yeah, just like a little short story. It's very, very short, guys. Um, 
I was getting into a partnership, doing the things that Mark's teaching us not to do. I chased the money. I had a bad feeling. I didn't think I should partner with this person on this fix and flip. Um, all in all, I lost 17 grand. But if I would have spent a little bit of extra time up front and a little bit of money and maybe spent like 900 bucks for an attorney, I would have saved myself that 17,000 that I lost. So I think uh, the wisdom that's coming from Mark today is is really, really, really. That's scary. that story. I mean, fortunately, it was, it's a lot of money, but fortunately, it's only 17,000 because of yeah. people that. Because you've got 500,000 right now. Of yeah, in, in lean. <laughs> it. And, yeah. And I think that's 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 a very, very point. Good point. You know, is, is spending that money up front uh, to do that is very important. And it's not just the money, the stress related to these type <laughs> of activities is to me more is even worth more than the money. In some cases, the energy you put into it, you, you're, you're fighting potential litigation or it might be that you could be doing something more productive. Money's bad, but the, the whole life balance with stress and, and time is, is even worse in my opinion. There you go. Hey, I really appreciate your time today, just coming on and sharing some of that wisdom with us. How would my listeners get a hold of you again? Yeah, so our website is thinkmultifamily.com. My email is mark at thinkmultifamily.com. We do a lot of training events. We're, we're bouncing around different places here and there. We do some meetups. We're very active in the, in the community and, and love to help people not make the same mistakes we made. Yeah. And you've got an event coming up, you said in May, right? May 19th and 20th in Dallas, okay. we have an event. And that's All a right. two-day event that we do three times a year. Okay. So yeah, this will come out before May 19th and 20th. So um, I'll just go ahead and put thinkmultifamily.com right here in the show notes. So guys, just scroll right down. You can find that. Click on it. You'll be able to find that event if you want to learn a little bit more from Mark. And until next time, guys, think outside the box. Thanks, Adam. Bye. It's Adam Adams. What would you do if I asked you to leave us a five-star rating today? Would you pull over and make sure to take care of that with the just a few seconds that it takes? Or would you ignore it? Today, I want to let you know that it would be a win-win anyway if you did that because we get better and better guests just because we have better ratings. But today, I'm going to sweeten the deal. I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book on creative real estate that you're going to want to read, and I want to get you a free copy. The best way for me to do this is if you take a screenshot of that five-star rating, email it directly to me at adam at realbluespruce.com. I'm going to get you a copy of that book this year. Until next time, think outside the box.